You're listening to Resurrection Life with Pastor Nathan Trice. So, my friends, what is the gospel? Uh, That's the most basic question for any Christian church to understand, uh, to experience, uh, and to live out in their testimony to the world. And so that is the first topic uh, that I've taken up in this church membership class via podcast. Welcome back. Uh, I'm answering the question, what is the gospel, at the two levels at which the Bible speaks of the gospel. Last time I Answer the question, what is the gospel, with this answer. It is the good news of God's salvation offered to sinners. And I spoke last time of our twofold problem as sinners and of God's twofold solution in and through Jesus Christ, uh, something that the hymn writer uh, famously calls the double cure. Now, friends, as I concluded Uh, That first podcast, uh, answering the question, what is the gospel? I said something that, well, it was possibly surprising uh, to some one or more of you. Uh, I said something like this, as good as the good news is that we've already been talking about, uh, guys, it's actually bigger and better than all that, if you can believe it. And now, uh, at this point, uh, I want to remind you that the gospel in the Bible is something that is bigger than you or me or us altogether. Uh, It's bigger even than our personal salvation from sin. The gospel is something bigger than our future happiness in heaven. Now, if it's not clear to you how this could be so, I uh, will just say that many Christians and many churches miss this bigger reality, this answer to the question on a whole other level, what is the gospel? Friends, the gospel in its biggest, its most glorious sense is about God's triumph over all his enemies. Uh, The gospel is something that our Lord Jesus called the gospel of the kingdom. Now, having talked with you about the good news of God's salvation offered to sinners, now let's spend the few moments ahead of us here talking about the gospel as the good news of the coming of God's kingdom. I'm going to talk about the expression, the gospel of the kingdom, and then I want to talk about the expression, also biblical, of seeking first the kingdom. So let's talk about those two things. First of all, let's talk about what this expression, the gospel of the kingdom, means. If you're going to talk about gospel and do so biblically, sooner or later, you've got to talk about the kingdom. Matthew chapter 4, verse 23, one uh, example among many. We read this account of our Lord's ministry. And he, that is Jesus, went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. Now, I don't think that expression, the gospel of the kingdom, is as familiar to 
uh, as many Christians as the expression I took up last week from, in that case, it was the Apostle Paul's writing, the gospel of your salvation. That expression is, well, it's more intuitive to the church today, I think, the gospel of your salvation. What is the gospel of the kingdom? The uh, regrettable thing about this expression, not being more familiar and understood in the church today, is that, well, it happens to be the case that the kingdom of God is the major theme of Jesus' preaching and teaching ministry. Uh, Just remind yourselves with me uh, of these uh, references in the Scripture uh, that point us to this reality that the kingdom of God is the major theme of Jesus' preaching ministry. Prophets of the Old Testament foretold Jesus as a king. Does this sound familiar? From you, Bethlehem, will come a ruler in Israel. Uh, When the angel is speaking to our Lord's mother, Mary, he speaks to her of her son in these terms, of his kingdom. There will be no end. Jesus' preaching ministry begins with this as a summary of all that he preached. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. You'll remember from his most famous of all sermons, the Sermon on the Mount. He begins, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. We read in the Gospels of his sending out his disciples. And at one point, uh, we're told they are sent out, quote, to proclaim the kingdom of God. Even on the day of his death, at his crucifixion, over his head, uh, there affixed to the cross by God's uh, kind and ironic providence is the sign, King of the Jews. And then just to top it all off, uh, in the record of our Lord's ministry, after his resurrection for 40 days before he returned to the Father, what does he speak to his disciples about. Acts 1 tells us that he appeared to them, quote, speaking about the kingdom of God. Now, I hope I've made my point just referencing these things from the biblical account of our Lord's ministry. Brothers and sisters, this is the theme of Jesus' life and ministry. It's not just that, though. Um, I would assert to you that this theme, the kingdom of God, the gospel of the kingdom, is the unifying theme of the whole Bible. Now, I can't make a case for that in any detail right now. I have done so in years past, both in sermon series and in Bible class series, and there's just too much to unpack for a few minutes here on this podcast. But uh, hang on. Buckle up. Uh, I'm going to give you a whirlwind tour uh, that lies behind, uh, a whirlwind tour of the Bible that lies behind my assertion that the gospel of the kingdom is actually the theme of the whole Bible. Think of these uh, things uh, well known in the Bible under this particular rubric. Um, The history of the world is the history of two kingdoms in conflict. 
It begins at creation when the world was itself created as a realm in which God himself would reign. And we're told in the opening pages of Genesis, man uh, made male and female would be his royal representative on the earth. And his multiplying and taking dominion would be the means by which uh, God's reign was represented in the earth through his vice-regent, as uh, some would call uh, mankind. Of course, the fall into sin represented nothing less than rebellion by men and angels, an act of treason, it would rightly be called, that resulted in a, a general revolt against God's rule. And oh, this is inscrutable to us about the wisdom of God, but it was his will to allow, indeed, to ordain that for a time the earth, in the wake of that rebellion, would be ruled by his enemy, Satan. But then, uh, unfolding from that point on, throughout biblical history, redemption represents God's announced intention to fight for the earth, to fight for mankind, and indeed, uh, to enlist man in the crushing of the rebellion uh, that had been waged against him. Genesis 3, verse 15 is the first gospel, as we call it. Uh, And that is that place where uh, God promises uh, to put enmity between uh, the serpent and the woman, between her offspring, uh, between his offspring and her offspring. And that famous word that we all recognize as Christians points all the way to the cross and beyond. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Now, The Old Testament part of biblical testimony uh, to this coming of the kingdom and this good news that the kingdom is coming, well, it won't surprise you that the whole Old Testament seems to be about kings and a kingdom with God's appointed servants on his throne in the earth. You know that he calls out a people to be the means of reestablishing God's rule in the earth. And he chooses and anoints one particular king to be his servant in this. Of course, that king was David. There's so much hope and prospect of success uh, when finally God's anointed king, David, a man after his own heart, is on the throne of the kingdom of God on the earth. But you know the story of the Old Testament Uh, soon after becomes one big tragedy. David's sons fail to live up to their calling, and the nation who was to bring blessing to all the other nations doesn't become that blessing. Instead, by its own unbelief and disobedience, that nation falls instead under judgment. That is the sad drift of the whole Old Testament as it concludes. But you will also know, as I continue this whirlwind tour, there's hope. You know this, don't you? In the Old Testament, even, at the end of the Old Testament, the prophets begin to look forward. And when they're looking forward on the inspiration of the Spirit, they're seeing a restoration of the kingdom of God. And that through another heir of David's throne. Faithful Israel, at least, begins to look for 
Messiah, the one who would be anointed. That's what the word means, anointed specifically to be the king. Now, this Messiah would be the one who would succeed where every previous king had failed. And so with that kind of hope already being registered by the prophets of the Old Testament looking forward, you and I, when we open our New Testaments, we're not surprised, we shouldn't be, to hear that when Jesus arrives preaching, his preaching is that the kingdom of God is at hand. When he says that, friends, he's not only identifying himself as the king, but he's also identifying his mission as the final restoration of all that had been lost uh, in the earth. There is um, a great deal, of course, as the New Testament uh, gives us the life and ministry of Christ that, well, surprises us, frankly, about how Jesus brings this kingdom about uh, before there is a crown uh, for Christ's head, uh, there's a cross for his body. And this is a surprise to so many. Uh, it's a surprise that he must first suffer for his people's sins before he brings judgment on their enemies. But indeed, after his suffering is completed and after he is exalted to his throne, uh, or about to be exalted to his throne, Jesus gives famously uh, this resurrection proclamation. It's been the subject of some attention in this podcast in months uh, past. Uh, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. And from the right hand of the Father, having ascended to that place of glory uh, and to receive his crown, our divine human King, Jesus the Christ, uh, is, in the words of 1 Corinthians chapter 15, uh, reigning until he has put all his enemies under his feet. Are you still with me? You still got your seatbelts on and still hanging on? Uh, brothers and sisters, I just, I just took uh, a whole sweep of biblical, often called redemptive history, and tried to show you that it is all about the kingdom of God. That's its central and primary theme. So when Jesus comes in the New Testament preaching the gospel of the kingdom, uh, he's identifying himself as the king, and he is offering to men a place in his kingdom if they repent of their sins and put their trust in him. That's what the gospel is. Uh, You can inherit, uh, you can enter and inherit the kingdom. That's the language of our Lord Jesus. If you trust in him and obey him as the king. This whole notion of gospel or good news being about the arrival of the king and of his kingdom and the privilege that is extended to all of us to be part of the kingdom, folks, that is the bigger biblical view of the gospel. That's the second level, if you will, 
of the gospel. That's the gospel in its cosmic dimensions, the good news. Jesus is going to bring about the fulfillment, all that the prophets foretold. He is going to reverse the curse. He's going to restore the whole earth to its original glory. And you can have a part in that glorious work if you believe upon him and commit to radical discipleship. Folks, that's a big gospel. Do you see how that's even bigger uh, than the things that I first outlined as precious and as personal as they were in the last podcast? This is the good news of Jesus Christ, if you will, on the macro scale, on a panoramic scale. Uh, If you are helped by this, uh, we looked last time at the gospel through a CT scan. What is each of our deeply personal, inward and outward, problem? And how does Christ present to us a double cure for our problem of sin? That was the gospel uh, looked at through a CT scan. Uh, What I'm talking about to you now in this second part of the answer to the question, what is the gospel, is the gospel viewed from a satellite. It's the gospel, the good news for your whole world. So, all this to try to unpack so much to be said that can't be said in this format, but to unpack, in a summary way at least, what is this expression, the gospel of the kingdom, the good news of the kingdom? Now, I want to take up a second expression uh, that Jesus uses, and it's the expression found in Matthew chapter 6, Verse 33, Uh, here uh, the Lord says, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Here's where I want to point out, listen carefully, that a right response to this good news that is so big involves something in us that's bigger than simply trusting in Jesus for our personal salvation. Folks, it involves a whole life of devotion to Christ as king and to the advancing of his kingdom. That's what a right response to the gospel in its big dimension calls for. That's what Jesus is talking about when he says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All right, so what does that mean? <clears throat> Seek first the kingdom of God. Uh, I want to say to you, I'm not the first. Uh, I'm indebted to uh, many for teaching me this uh, over the years. The key to understanding what he means, seek first the kingdom, lies in that famous prayer that Jesus himself taught his disciples. You remember in Matthew 6, verse 9, uh, Jesus says to his disciples, pray like this. And then he says, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So when Jesus tells us to pray this, uh, he wants us to pray, obviously, that there'll be some kind of progress in God's kingly rule. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, what would that look like? 
Jesus tells us what it would look like in that expression that follows, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Uh, What it means to pray your kingdom come is that this is big, this is a big prayer. It means we're praying that the earth would become a place as fully conformed to the will of God as heaven itself. That's a big prayer. Now, uh, notice something here. Uh, God is ruling over all the earth from heaven now. Let's be clear. And in that sense, God's kingdom couldn't actually get any bigger. But, folks, though he may be the king, he's not being obeyed by everyone, is he? Uh, There are many in this world who hate God's will. And there are even in all of us as Christians elements uh, in our lives that are contrary to God's will for us. This is the way that it is on earth. It's quite a mixed bag, and we are dismayed by how much of God's will is not being done on the earth. But, of course, you know it's different in heaven, don't you? Uh, There in heaven, there are thousands upon thousands of holy angels, servants of God, who serve him perfectly. They obey God perfectly. As a result, they are perfectly happy in his presence. And so heaven is a truly wonderful place. But here, almost too good to be true, but not too good to be true. I remind you, it is God's plan to make the earth like heaven again, where everyone serves him. And especially now that Jesus has come, he is in the midst of doing that. And here's the point for all of us to grasp. Seeking first the kingdom for every single one of us and for us as communities like local churches involves doing anything and everything that promotes the good and wise will of God for planet Earth. The kingdom of God comes through the prayers and the labors of the loyal subjects of the king. Uh, Notice, we're told to pray that the kingdom would come, so we conclude from that it must be something that God has to do in order to uh, see this come about. We're told to pray for it, so it must be something God does, but notice we're also told to seek it. and So we rightly conclude that it is also something that God does through us. We pray for it because God alone can do it. We seek it because it's something God is pleased to do through us. So what does it look like for uh, an individual to seek the kingdom of God? Well, it looks most fundamentally, most vitally, it looks like him bowing before the king, his embracing him uh, for all that he alone can do uh, to save us from our sins and pledging loyalty to him in a grateful response to salvation. It looks like that individual uh, being increasingly zealous 
uh, to do his will for himself. And if that individual has, for example, a family, uh, a wife and children, he will do everything in his power uh, to lead them in his home uh, in fulfilling the will of God in heaven uh, here on earth. It looks like that man uh, in our illustration in his workplace uh, making decisions that impact not just his sphere, but in a variety of ways, the the sphere of that workplace uh, more and more pleasing to God because they're based on principles from God's word. It looks like that man's household uh, living in a community in which they have an influence. Jesus calls it salt and light upon others. They are witnesses uh, to the salvation that can be found alone in Christ, and they are witnesses uh, to what is right and what is wrong in their society. If that individual looks, uh, sorry, lives in a democratic society, as most of us listening to this podcast do, uh, that is uh, an individual in a household with other like-minded individuals and households who are concerned that uh, men who uh, present themselves for office uh, be those who have regard, either by common grace or by saving grace, uh, for the principles of God's law. As a result, uh, if God is pleased to bless, whole uh, nations, whole societies can come to be shaped by the Word of God in greater or less extent, as uh, Christian uh, or church history has shown uh, of world history. Uh, whole nations can actually, um, together in meaningful ways, uh, be seeking the will of God on the earth as it is in heaven. And when churches of uh, such nations that are uh, under the sway of the gospel, both um, micro and macro scale, send missionaries to other nations, uh, they repeat this whole process that I've just been inviting you to envision for me. They're fulfilling uh, the Lord's great commission to make disciples of all the nations from personal conversion to Christ all the way to Christendom, as some have called it, whole nations uh, seeking to uh, submit themselves uh, to the Messiah. Uh, folks, that's what it means to seek the kingdom of God. That is a big mission indeed, and it's a big mission because it's a big gospel. It's good news of the coming of the kingdom and our privileged place in that kingdom, and it calls for a big response. Now, answering the question, what is the gospel, in this second um, satellite view way, uh, leads me to speak to a couple of implications of all this uh, about a resurrection Presbyterian church. A couple of ways in which this view of the gospel uh, shapes us, and we want it to shape us even more uh, in our life and ministry. Number one of those implications I'll put in these ways. Uh, our purpose as a church, friends, must be centered 
on God and His glory, not ourselves. So listen to me carefully in in light of what I've said in both the previous uh, episode and this one. When I say our mission as a church and as a people of God is bigger than just getting saved and getting other people saved. Folks, our mission as God's people is seeking the glory of God through the coming of the kingdom. Do you see how this is a bigger view of the gospel uh, and how this is a bigger view of mission? And that if we didn't have the one, we wouldn't have the other. If we had, the, if we had only a small view of the gospel, do you see how as a church, as a community of God's people, we could become very self-centered, as if salvation was the greatest possible good. To be sure, uh, salvation is a means to the end of glorifying God in the earth. You can't promote the kingdom of God if you're not part of it. And so bowing before Christ, swearing loyalty to him, is the most basic way of seeking the kingdom. But friends, what is the primary message of the Bible? Is it really about how I or you can be saved? Our answer at resurrection is no. That's actually the secondary message of the Bible. For all of its importance, for all of its vital importance, that is a secondary message of the Bible. The primary message of the Bible is not about us. It's not about our salvation. It has to do with God and his glory. That's why, as I've sought to Make the case, the unifying theme of Scripture is the kingdom of God. The glory of God is of preeminent importance to God himself. That means that our lives, our very redemption, is a means to that end. And so, uh, let me say that to embrace that reality, that fact, is not demeaning to us in our lives in any way. It is just the opposite. That's what's truly exalting. It's the primary way, in fact, that we can find meaning in our lives. So that's the first implication of this big gospel of good news for our world. Our purpose as a church must be centered on God and his glory, not ourselves. Second implication Uh, is that our work and our witness must remain as broad as the Word of God is. I say this in light of a fair amount of talk in our day about evangelical churches, which we are at Resurrection, being, quote, gospel-centered churches. And usually that reference is um, to uh, the focus being kept on the issues of salvation from sin. And indeed, as I've said, that is of ultimate importance to every last one of us in terms of our own personal experience. But my friends, if a church is gospel-centered, but only views the gospel in terms of personal salvation, can you see how it could become actually a very sinner-centered church, where the gatherings of the church are designed entirely around what is of blessing for, well, sinners. And the ministry of the church becomes entirely about helping sinners, you and me, uh, just getting through life and, 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 and getting to heaven. 
If the good news, on the other hand, though, is ultimately about what God is doing in the world to glorify himself in the renewal of all things, well, that means that our gatherings as a church can be focused on worshiping him as the rightful king and on being equipped to take part in the advancing of his kingdom. This is why uh, the preaching and teaching at Resurrection uh, has such a whole Bible focus. It seeks to cover the waterfront of all that God has revealed to us in his word about his will for us, how to evangelize, but also how to think about gay marriage, how to read your Bible, but also about how to spank your kids, what Jesus did on the cross for us, as well as what he's going to do uh, between now and when he returns on the last day. We have called this broad, whole Bible ministry um, the preaching and teaching of the whole counsel of God. And that's, of course, an expression taken from, again, the Apostle Paul uh, in his uh, words to those Ephesian elders. Uh, Folks, we believe that's what's consistent uh, with the final marching orders that King Jesus gave us. He told us to make disciples of all nations. He told us to baptize them. And then he said, teaching them to observe whatsoever I have commanded you. And so a preaching and teaching ministry in a local church that is as broad, as comprehensive as the Bible itself, well, we believe that is as important as it has ever been, especially in the society that is increasingly ignorant of the scriptures and rebellion against God's will on earth as it's done in heaven. So those are a couple of implications more that could be drawn out, I'm sure, uh, to our understanding as a church uh, about the gospel as both the good news of God's salvation offered to sinners and the good news of the coming of God's kingdom. How shall I wrap up uh, this first topic in our membership class by podcast on the nature of the gospel? Well, Uh, Maybe I'll talk to you about how we could faithfully uh, even put the gospel on a bumper sticker. Let me just uh, slip in one more biblical way of answering the question, what is the gospel? Uh, A way that would combine both uh, the micro and the macro dimensions of the gospel. Uh, What is the gospel? The gospel, brothers and sisters, is the good news of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So why does that make such a fitting summary of the gospel, both uh, small and large? Well, think of Acts chapter 4, verse 33, where uh, Luke is summarizing the ministry of the apostles, and he says this, "'With great power the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus.'" And great grace was upon them all. Well, I think it would be agreed by all. The apostles were preaching the gospel during that time. They were giving their testimony to the good news or the gospel. But Luke is content 
Uh, to summarize it, to, if you will, put it on a bumper sticker. I'm sure they said more than just uh, a few things about the resurrection, but he's content uh, to summarize all they were preaching of this good news as the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Really, friends, if you're trying to put the gospel on a bumper sticker, here's how to do it. Christ is risen. That statement carries with it both the hope of personal salvation and the hope of cosmic renewal. It carries within it uh, both the CT scan and the satellite view. Just think about it. Uh, The resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead makes these three things clear. It makes clear first who Jesus is. It proves him to be the Messiah. But it also makes clear what Jesus has done. His resurrection is what establishes the meaning and efficacy of his death. And it makes clear what Jesus will do, both for us and for this world. It guarantees, according to the rest of the New Testament's teaching, uh, the coming renewal of all things. So maybe you understand just a little bit better uh, why we as a congregation uh, once upon a time renamed ourselves Resurrection Presbyterian Church. We did it mindful that everything about the gospel of salvation from sin, everything about the gospel of the coming of the kingdom depends on Jesus Christ being raised from the dead. Uh, so, uh, my friends who are inquiring to know more about Resurrection Presbyterian Church, the word resurrection in our name reflects our conviction that all our hopes as Christians, for ourselves, for the world, rests on the truth. Christ is risen. We even gather as a church on that day of resurrection in awareness of that fact. We gather to worship on the day of resurrection because, well, you might say our religion, Christianity, uh, is a resurrection religion. So I just invite you, those of you who are worshiping with us or will be worshiping with us, uh, join us on Sunday mornings especially in putting a fine point on the whole gospel as I greet the congregation of Resurrection Presbyterian Church with the words, Christ is risen. We invite you to respond with the gospel in a nutshell. He is risen indeed. Well, this is the best of all the subjects that we will take up uh, in this church membership class, Um, but we will need to move on now, and the next subject we will quite rightly come to is this thing we call the church. Next time, I'll take up the question, where in the world did that come from? And after that, we'll take up the question, why is the church so very important? I hope you can join us. I'm thankful that you have... Uh, heard me and entered into these important things uh, thus far. Friends, the Lord keep you in his grace. Hey, Christ is risen. You've been listening to another episode of Resurrection Life with Pastor Nathan Trice. This is a ministry of Resurrection Presbyterian Church in Matthews, North Carolina. And if you've enjoyed today's podcast, please consider sharing it with someone you know. Thank you for joining us.